0: You may wonder, why are there rocks and sand up here? Well, today we're talking about what it means to have a solid foundation. And it, it, we're looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 7 that probably most of you have looked at in your life. Uh, when you were a kid, if you were a child of the 90s and remember Salty, the singing songbook, does anyone else remember Salty, the singing songbook, or is it just me? Alright, I got, I got some Salty friends. Um, so, he, he came up with a song about how the wise, I won't sing it because you'll probably all leave because uh, there's a reason why Mike's the worship pastor and not me. Um, but he talks about how, in the song, it talks about how the wise man builds his house upon the rock and the rains come down and the floods come and no matter what, that house doesn't move. And so we're gonna look at why that is and why Jesus used that analogy for our life. So if you wanna turn to Matthew chapter 7, with me, seven twenty-four through 29, we're going to read, which says this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains come down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house upon the s- a sand. The rains come down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Then when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And so Jesus is using this as an analogy. Um, I didn't know until a couple of years ago that I think all of us have heard this story about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the foolish man building his house upon the sand. But what Jesus is talking about here is this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so Jesus goes and says, hey, if you hear what I just said, uh, Sermon on the Mount is known as the greatest sermon ever told. And it's because it's, all, we have, it's the only sermon we have all the notes of Jesus' sermon. And if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount and you do everything that Jesus talks about here, um, wow, my voice just cracked. Uh, If you do everything that Jesus talks about here, um, you are going to be a wise man is what he said. So here's some of the things that Jesus talks about. If you want to turn back to Matthew chapter 5, I'll give you a two-minute version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So Jesus talks about what it means to be blessed. So he says Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll receive heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are looking for righteousness, for they're going to find it. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus goes on to talk about how you and I are called to be the salt and light of the world, how you and I, as Christians, are called to be different than the rest of the world. And then he is speaking primarily to the Pharisees in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about how we're called to go above and beyond the law. So if the law says, Things like don't murder, which we can all agree is, is, a, good thing, is a good law to have. Uh, Jesus says don't be angry at anyone. Um, and out of your anger, that is like murder. He says, uh, as the law says, don't commit adultery. So Jesus says not only don't commit adultery, but anyone who looks lustfully on someone else is just like someone committing adultery. Jesus goes on to, goes on to talk about how you're not supposed to divorce. So, in, in that culture, it says the law says you can permit a certificate of divorce, and if you print a certificate of divorce, then um, you're good. But Jesus is like, don't divorce unless for marital unfaithfulness. Uh, he says in the law, it talks about doing oaths, giving oaths to the Lord. Um, and Jesus says, don't even worry about oaths. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And if you do that, you're going to be good. Um, he talks about how when we, in the Sermon the he talks about when someone wrongs us, instead of uh, giving them back what they did to you, he talks about turning the other cheek and how all of these things are so countercultural to the culture of the first century, um, first century and the culture of the 21st century. These are all totally countercultural to what we expect. He talks about loving your enemies. Giving to those in need. Praying, fasting. Talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Uh, And one of the things that really gets to me, and uh, Leslie uh, said it in her prayer, talks about not worrying. About how when we worry, it's a lack of faith in the Lord. Talks about not judging. Talks about looking for God. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is trying to bring in the kingdom of the Lord. And so a wise person, what Jesus is saying, is a wise person hears these things and does it, and a foolish person hears these things and just says, yeah, yeah, that's good advice, and then doesn't do anything about it. All of us who've been parents um, have had their kids, told their kids to do something, they've been like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, and then not have it happen. And so all of us have seen that, um, and that's what Jesus is saying, is a foolish person. If you hear God's word and you don't do anything about it. um, I've got a friend of mine, most of you probably know him, Chris Hawbaker, is a wise person. uh, And Jesus would say he's a wise person. He built his house uh, with I-beams instead of wood. He welded it all together. um, And then the walls, uh, Jesse came up to me after first service and said, the walls are actually all made of concrete. And so a hurricane could come and his house wouldn't be destroyed. Um, and Jesus is saying, the wise person has a firm foundation in me. The wise person foundation is built on a rock, something that is not easily broken. The foolish person foundation is built on sand. Uh, I've got a picture here of a guy who built his house on a, out of a sand castle. So the guy actually lives underneath the sand castle in an uh, eight by eight room. And uh, there's a video that goes along with this. And the video talks about how anytime it rains, anytime it thunderstorms, his house is ruined. And uh, he might be smart because he gets to live his house. He gets to live on the beach for free. Uh, But he also, every time it rains, has to rebuild his house. So um, maybe maybe not super smart. So what does a foolish person look like? A foolish person looks like someone Who, A, Jesus mentions it clearly right here. He says, foolish person is a person who hears the word of God and does nothing about it. Does absolutely nothing about it. Just hears it, goes in one ear and out the other. But we can learn also from this. And when it talks about going above the law, the foolish person doesn't try and get righteousness with God by their own good works. The foolish person, like what the Pharisees would do is they would try and live their life perfectly and gain their righteousness with God by their own merit or by their own good works. Whereas Jesus says, hey, the, the wise person is someone who has a relationship with me and because of that is able to gain righteousness with God. The, the wise person... Is a person who doesn't live for themselves. I have um, never met anyone happy who lives for themselves. Um, you look at, bi- there's billionaires out there that are miserable, um, which it's kind of counterculture, totally counterculture for us, for us to call a billionaire a foolish person. But there's billionaires out there that live for themselves and die. Miserable. I uh, I read a story about um, Commodore Vanderbilt uh, recently, and um, he's the guy that Vanderbilt University was founded after. Had a railroad and shipping empire. Um, at one point, was the richest person in the world, and was just absolutely miserable. Was just absolutely miserable because he's just living for the next big thing. So if you're you're a foolish person, if you if you're living for the next thing, if you're placing your faith in your foundation of your life on, hey, the next business deal, on how do people like me, on things that can end in an instant, then you're building your house, Jesus is saying, on not a solid foundation. You're building your house on the sand. And it, But if you're, in turn, building your house, building your life on a solid foundation on who Jesus is, on the fact that Jesus is the one you're supposed to please, on the fact that you're loved just because you're a child of God, on trying to look for others in front of yourself, then you're going to be a wise person and you're building your house on things, you're building your life on things that aren't easily to wash away. Um, God, Jesus talks about here how we are called to bring in his kingdom, his kingdom here on earth. So if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, Um, Very famous part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, 10. Jesus talks about this. He talks about how you and I are called to bring in the kingdom of God here. Now, many of us, we'll get to that in just a second. So, many of us don't have any clue what it looks like to live in a kingdom. Many of us, we've grown up here in America, and 242 years ago, if my math is right, we left a kingdom. We left a kingdom that was fallible. We left a kingdom with a sinful king. We left a kingdom that had borders. But Jesus is inviting us to be part of a kingdom without borders, to be part of a kingdom that encompasses the whole earth, to be part of a kingdom that the kingdoms here in America, the kingdoms in um, China, the kingdoms in the Dominican Republic, the kingdoms wherever. Wherever people that are following Jesus is, his kingdom is. And here is the sign what God calls, wants his kingdom here. So if you read in the Lord's Prayer, 6.10, it says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Is what Jesus talks about how his kingdom coming here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we can clearly see that God's will is done here. So you look at even the book of Job, back in the Old Testament. Job, the devil has to ask God, hey, can I have permission to sift through Job? Can I have permission to tempt Job? And God has to say, yes, you can have permission to tempt Job. But what Jesus says here is, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you look at how is God's will done differently in heaven than it is here on earth. Well, in heaven, the angels 24 hours a day are sitting around the throne worshiping God God, versus here on earth, many of us, many people here on earth, most of our days are not living for God. They're living for ourselves. Much of our days, if we spend 24 hours a day trying to worship the Lord, then we're building a foundation here. And not here. Now that doesn't mean that 24 hours a day you have to be singing, um, as much as some people might like that. Um, I would have a really hard time with that. But what you're supposed to do is 24 hours a day is in everything you do, try and point it towards the Lord, um, and that is bringing your kingdom here. So, so the angels 24 hours a day, no matter what they're doing, they're trying to bring glory to the Lord, um, and that's why Jesus says, "Your kingdom come." and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, 24 hours a day, the angels are trying to glorify the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, your followers, no matter what they do, are called to try and glorify the Lord. One of the cool verses on this um, is that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 here, those who do the will of the Father our, Jesus cares a lot more about us walking the walk than talking the talk. You see, it's really, really easy to, to, walk the, to talk the talk. It's really easy to say, yeah, this stuff's good. I believe everything that's, that Jesus is talking about in the sermon. About. That is super, super easy for us. What's hard is putting that into practice. What's hard is putting into practice what Jesus is, is saying, and actually do it. Um, so I look at some people that in my life, or some people that I've read about, some people that I know who put the Word of God into practice, who have actually said, hey, I'm going to go out and do this. Uh, last week, Steve and Sheila Harrigan were up here. Um, it's probably out of their comfort zone to go hang out with Muslim people. But Lord's called them to do that, so they go ahead and go out and do that. They go hang out with, uh, out with Muslim people. Um, ben and Lana Sprunger, I know, probably out of Lana's comfort zone to start a house uh, up in Monroe and let a bunch of middle school and high school kids run around in it. Um, probably out of, out of their comfort zone, but they go ahead and do that. Um, Gabe and Krista probably was initially out of their comfort zone to go to another country. Uh, to a language they didn't understand, and live there, but God called them to do it. God called them to walk the walk, and so they do it. Maybe for some of you, it might be out of your comfort zone, um, but maybe God's calling you to go love that neighbor who just drives you nuts. Maybe he's calling you to hang out with people at work who just are totally different than you, he's calling us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. My great-grandfather during World War II lived in, lived in the Netherlands, um, and he was in his 30s during World War II and had six kids. And he was a police officer in the um, Queens Guard is what it was called. And he had the opportunity he felt like he had the opportunity to just sit there, just live his life normally. The Germans, when they occupied the Netherlands, uh, because they were part of the Aryan race, they thought, hey, the Dutch people are good. We can we can just kind of let them do their thing. Uh, but my great-grandfather felt like, I need to do something different. And so he joined the Dutch resistance and he would have um, Jews hiding in his attic. Um, and once a month or so, the German SS men would come and tour their house but because of his position in the government uh, in the Queen's uh, Guard he would have the opportunity to know when they were coming so he would would either A. free the house or get all the Jews out of the house because he'd know that they were coming or B. he would um, be friends with some of the people that were going to tour the house and so they'd be like oh he's good and uh, just tour the parlor and uh, and then leave. Um, and what my great grandfather would do is he would take people, Jewish men, and he would put on an old police coat with them, and they'd go on patrol. And but it would be a night that he wouldn't actually be working because they'd have a curfew, and he would just bring them to the next safe house. And he had a nervous breakdown because of this, uh, because he felt like he was gonna. He never knew when he was gonna get caught, but the Lord called him to do something different. The Lord called him to step out of his comfort zone and do something different. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was also around in World War II, and the Lord called him to do something a little bit different. The Lord, he was a German man uh, of a very aristocratic-influenced influence family, very wealthy family. And uh, his family, because he had spoke up against Nazism from the start, Uh, He was a religious theologian and said, hey, the Nazi government was taking over the church and said, hey, this cannot happen. And he actually ended up starting his own church and got on the Nazis' radar, and they didn't like him because he spoke against them. And so his family got him away to um, America right before, it was like a couple weeks before Germany invaded Poland. His family got him away to America. Uh, He was there for two weeks and said, I need to not hide out here in safety. I need to leave and go back to go back to Germany and he ended up giving his life because he was not just a hearer of the word but a doer of the word and so I encourage you guys to, that we are called to have our foundation on Jesus Christ and not on stuff we 're called to have our foundation on Jesus and build our life on Jesus. And so our foundation isn't sand, but rocks. The next thing that I, I want to talk to you guys about is how God's call called all of us that it's not about us. Life, we weren't placed on earth here to make ourselves happy. Life's not about our happiness, but it's about our holiness. And Here's, I want to take a look at one of the most famous Psalms of all time, Psalm 23. The first four verses we're going to just look at. And this will show how life isn't about our happiness, it's not about us. So, uh, verse one says, Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. So, this sounds like, hey, life's about us. I like to lack for nothing. Uh, and God likes to provide for us and make sure we lack for nothing. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. Who doesn't want to be in green pastures? Who doesn't want to be around quiet waters? He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. But why does he guide me along the right path? It's for his namesake, not for my own namesake. And so what does it mean that God does these things for his namesake? God does things and puts things in our lives for us to point other people towards him. God blesses us for us to be a blessing to other people. God wants us to place our foundation on him and on his laws and on what he's done in our life. Um, It goes a little further, this verse, and says, Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so Jesus is saying, if your ro- rock, David's saying, is placed on Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens. If, you're, if your foundation is a solid foundation, it doesn't matter what, if you walk through the darkest of valleys, God is going to be with, with you. He's going to be there for you no matter what happens. But your foundation has to be on the Lord. It can't be on yourself or on your own wanting. It can't be on the things that you desire, but it has to be on the things that the Lord desires. If my foundation is on the Lord, you can do things joyfully that you might not otherwise want to do. If your focus is on making God's name, name great, then it doesn't matter what is happening in your life. It doesn't matter what trial you go through. It doesn't matter what hardship you're going through. If your focus eye is on how can I use this to make God's name great, then that is your solid foundation. All those other things will be added Jesus talks about how do you sum up the, the, the commandments. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, then everything else will be added. If you do those two things, then you're going to be building your life on such a solid foundation that it's not going to matter. You see, much of us, here in America, are focused on our happiness for the next 20 years. Or some of us, the next 20 minutes, are focused on what's, what's going to be our happiness for the next 20 minutes, 20 years. It's why America's racked up so much credit card debt. It's why we've racked up so many loans. It's why uh, we spend financially on things, because we're focused on the next... 20 years. But if you're focused on the next 20 years, then your foundation is built on sand. But if you're fo- if you're focused on the next 20,000 years, if you're focused on, "Hey, who is my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? Who I can share the gospel with them? Who I can love them? Who is the person at work? Who's maybe even your someone in your family who's not following Jesus?" How can you share the gospel with them and share the love of Jesus with them? Then you're, you have a foundation that's focused on the next 20,000 years. You see, if God is for God, and if it's not about me and it's about God, then when someone cuts you off in traffic, you don't have to worry about it. When someone does something crazy like teepees your house, it doesn't matter. You know, when someone does something to you that makes you frustrated, it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you um, to do these things with with your life, to build your foundation on Jesus Christ, build your hope on Jesus Christ, and not on anything else. Because God wants you and I, if we do that, He wants you and I to help Him usher in the kingdom. Um, One of the things that we need to remember is that we need, it's not about us. We need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. We need to let Scripture not just come in our ears, but come out of our hands and our, and our mouths. We need uh, to remember that it's not about us. Our life isn't about us, but it's about the Lord. I'm going to close this in prayer, uh, and then you guys can head out for the day. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have given us the ability to put you in the center of our life, to to have you as our solid foundation, as the rock for which we stand, Lord God. I pray um, that as we go out today and as we go out this week, Lord God, that we can think about how can we make you the foundation of every part of our life. In your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.